0: My name is Julie Robinson. I'm a program coordinator at the Writers Guild of Alberta, and I'm very pleased to be hosting this podcast with members of the Borderlines
1: Writers Circle. Uh, my name is Nermin Youssef. I uh, moved to Edmonton in August 2009 to pursue grad school at the U of A. My first language is Arabic, so I'm going to reintroduce myself again <laughs> in Arabic. Na ismi Nermin Youssef. I'm a وجيت أدمنتن سنة 2009 لشين أدرس دراسات عليا في جامعة ألبرتا.
2: my name is محمد عبدي، I'm a Somali Canadian I have been since, uh, 2009 and also I can introduce myself in my mother tongue which is Somali. محمد وحنا لقد my
3: name is Kate Rittner-Workman. Um, I've been in Canada for a number of years, but I'm currently researching the Second World War in Germany in accordance with my father who fought in the war. And who also took extensive um, film footage and photographs, which um, became in my possession. So I'm researching researching that currently. Um, ich bin Kathleen Andrea Rittner und am Moment, ich uh, versuche, mein Vater mit seinem Krieg, uh, die Zweiten Weltkrieg und
4: die Filme und uh, Bilder, das er hat, verknipst. Uh, my name is Tazeen Hassan and I am from Pakistan. I arrived here three years back. I am a writer, a journalist. I work for different uh, news outlets. Some of them are print and some of them are online. And I work on a variety of topics. My name is Tazeen Hassan and I am from Pakistan. And I am a writer and a writer. I am a writer and a writer. I work on projects, different subjects, and I outlets.
0: Thank you, wonderful. Let's start with what initially prompted you to put pen to page. Is there a defining encounter in which you realized you had to write about a particular thing? Tezzin, would you like to start?
4: Actually, I wanted to write from my very child, but I didn't know that I want to write. And I think I was sensitive. I used to... Observe things, and I want to. uh, I used to read a number of books at that time. And whenever I used to read, I was reading, I used to think that I should write. And sometimes I wrote, but not published at that time. But it was in 2006 when I moved to Saudi Arabia. Uh, There I got time because I was having engineering studies and then a career in computer science and in teaching, university teaching. So I didn't get time to write regularly. Some of my articles were published, one or two were published in mainstream media there, but not. Uh, but I couldn't continue because of uh, my other uh, activities and especially the career. It, it was really important, and then, and then uh, after my after my three children, I wanted to write. I felt an urge that I should write because internet was there, and I was reading a lot. I was analyzing things. I was analyzing the information what I was getting from internet, especially the history. The politics, the geopolitics. But I realized that I don't know how to write at that time. I really realized that what I want to say, I can't. I can't put my pen and write those things, what I think here. Then I moved to Saudi Arabia, and there I started writing for a magazine there, Shelkal uh, Asad Group of Newspapers. And there I started writing on travel and history. And it was not as much difficult. It was not analysis, it was just trying to summarize what I saw. I went to some country and it was just the start I wrote regularly and then after some years I have to go back to Pakistan and I have to join my telecommunications uh, PhD there and then I realized that I don't enjoy I'm not for telecommunications I was I realized that uh, my actual place is in writing and then it was a tussle because I can't get anything uh, money you know, it's a very difficult career, especially if you don't have the academic background related to that. And then I came here to Canada, and I wished to become a writer here. And it was almost impossible when I thought about it. It was almost impossible. So, you know, the Welcome Center for uh, Immigrants, Mennonite Center. I joined a workshop, series of workshops there uh, called Ivan. Iruna Boutwell from University of Alberta. She was managing that group. And and when I completed, she sent me a volunteer opportunity there for, a, for an online newspaper. It was an international newspaper. and I thought that I haven't wrote anything in English, I think I should try. And I applied. And I applied as a Middle East correspondent, you know, because I spent some time in Middle East and need. And in the first two months, I think I wrote 50 articles. and they were not just about Middle East, they were about Europe, they were about Africa, they were about Egypt. And then I thought that when I am writing, I should join some journalism program. When I am writing for a newspaper, and I love it, and I always wanted to be a writer, and I was I was thinking that it's almost impossible. And God made things better towards my goal. <laughs> Thank you, Kate.
3: Um, I began writing when I was probably nine or eight, and I started with a story that was kind of haunting. When I think about it, that I the little thing that I had written was about uh, some children that were looking for their parents, but they came from England. I always had a fascination with England, so they went on a ship, and then I I think I sent it into Walt Disney or I sent it into Mad Magazine. So that's where I went uh, with that, and uh, I was on the street for a bit when I was in high school, so I had to go through that experience, and of course when you're homeless, it's, it's you're, you're mainly surviving, um, so you're not really thinking about your future, but I was able to do that when I turned 20, when I was 20 and off the street, I was able to think about what I wanted to do, so I went to college, and actually it was after I met my father for the first time, so I went on that journey and I met my father in Germany, and um, he uh, was a photographer and a graphic artist. So after I met my father, yeah, I decided to go into journalism, mostly for photography. I was very interested in the photography aspect um, and the writing. And um, this was just a weekly, it just basically prepared you for weekly newspapers. So I was in the prairies in small town in Alberta and worked for the weekly papers and took some really good photographs and learned how to write Journalism, well mainly for small weeklies, took a long break because I was raising my children, and then this project fell into my lap um, with regards to my father and his, his films. He had since passed away in his films and his photography from the Second World War, and I'd always wondered about the war and what the truth was, because I grew up in Canada, so I grew up with the opinion or the teachings that all Germans were bad people, to the point where I gave up my German citizenship before I returned to to visit my father. It's also not a subject that was really welcome, finding out what actually happened in the war, the other side of the war, um, the opinions, the innocence, uh, the people that were innocent, the civilians that were innocent, because everyone wanted to peg them as, evil. We were just evil. So I thought, well, the people that I come from are evil. I'd like to be something else. So I got to be Canadian. Anything but German. Thank you.
0: Mohammed, was there a defining <coughs> experience where you
2: Yeah, actually, you? I have uh, I have things in common with my colleagues. I think when my, when I first write, my, my first writing was in 2002. And uh, prior to that, I used to really you know Literature and articles online, especially on so many websites. Then one time I just I sat down and I said, Why don't I try to write something? So, on that time, I was a student at SEIT, I was studying library science, and uh, I took some writing courses too. Like, I took a course called yeah, yeah, Introduction to Communication, and I remember I, I enjoyed taking that course because the reason, and you know, when compared to Canadian, like, you know, uh, uh, native people. When you speak the language, people mock you and then they say sometimes they don't understand you. But I was doing fine. But when it came to presentation, it's like I knew I was not like people couldn't understand me. But then when that final uh, exam of that of that course came, I became the second person in the class. Only one person was uh, was ahead of me, of the whole. uh, And I was the only immigrant in the whole program, the library science program. And that was that was sit in Calgary and uh, the teacher she said I still remember Muhammad. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and I said I just this. That. So then I kept as I, I kept reading those uh, like you know Somali politics you know uh, things and uh, English. Sometimes I wouldn't even understand the, some articles written in English because of the vocabulary they used. And then one time I decided oh I have to write because then I remember. My first article ever, uh, it was called a Nation, of Politics, a Nation of Politicians and Bad Internet Sites So, reading what was on the internet didn't please me in a way Because I would see people, you know, exchanging bad languages And I said, this is not ethical, you know, even if you disagree with someone You just um, talk nicely, but still target their idea And yeah, defend your stand, but like something rubbish language So I started writing and I sent it off to a Somali website, a famous one, and they picked it, they published it. And that gave me wow, my biggest wow. So I kept writing. And every time I wrote a piece of an article, it would be published by either this website or that website. And then when I graduated from my library technician program, I tried to work in the industry, but no luck. And then I went back to my only job which was security and then after six months of you know struggling in that uh, industry and looking back at my diploma library technician I said no this is not this is not the case and then I contacted the part other people and they told me or you can pursue your education with Athabasca because they have partnerships, so you can just you know code up with the third year. So I applied for Athabasca and they told me to send my uh, transcript. I send the of my transcript to them and they say yeah, you have good yeah, you have got half of the bachelor degree. So I went to Athabasca, I took two years with Athabasca, Athabasca online in communication studies, actually majoring in communication studies. So then with Athabasca I got exposure to lots of writing. Lots of literature, lots of things. And then my English, you know, kept improving me on a daily basis. And I kept writing too, to those online Somali websites. And literally I became like a famous writer among my community. <laughs> and then also, that gave me a courage of like even embarking on a bigger project. So I started writing a book. And uh, that book actually, it was a non-fiction book. So I initiated that book, I wrote it, I took it to an editor, it was edited and eventually I self-published it you know, through another, you know, networks because it cost me three thousand dollars So then that book also, I sold it, it had my name on it, my picture on it and that gave me another boost too, eh? So that first article was that, was that inspired me It just told me that I could write something And if I read something, it can be published too. So that was my first pen. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay. Uh, What prompted me to put pen on paper was uh, not being given a choice during school because I had to write stuff for English composition class. And uh, my first composition piece was an ad for for a TV. We had to create just the best TV we can think of. Of and how we're going to sell it that was in fourth grade so <laughs> and three pieces later our english teacher told me i'm going to give you a full mark no i i haven't done this but i'm going to give you a full mark get keep going keep writing and uh during that the elementary stage my school used to ask me to read short stories during school assembly and i thought that was really exciting <laughs> But I don't think the stories were too good, but they wanted to encourage me to write more. Um, During high school, I studied English with a focus on language. Then I went to university to study pharmacy. And there, I wasn't doing a lot of uh, creative writing. It was more shorter pieces that are social commentary, mostly sarcastic, uh, sometimes funny. During that time, I read extensively. I was obsessed with getting every every book I could get my hands on, just to feed. There's there's a hunger for for books and stories and and narratives and how people see things. Around. So I, I think that helped a lot with the second stage where I I moved to Canada and I did a lot of writing, but was scientific. So it was my hibernation and uh, downtime couldn't write creatively or I was discouraged from writing creatively at times because it doesn't fit with the scientific context. So in a way I rekindled this relationship with creative writing because science can get a little bit dry so you want to just let your imagination flow a little bit. Just have, have the freedom to think about anything you like and write in any way you like uh, that is not restrained. Um, and I've always enjoyed poetry, the music of it, the imagery. And then I started to reflect at that time when I was in Canada about this expatriate experience. What am I here considered to be? What do I consider myself in this new place? The new experiences I'm going through, how I'm being viewed, So in a way, poetry was um, my way to understand this experience. I've always loved metaphor, so also in a way it was an escape or something I could hide behind because I love the dual meanings of things. So yes, I'm reflecting on my own experience, but the same things I'm writing on paper could mean something completely different to someone else and can connect in a different way to that person.
0: Wonderful, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, the next question I want to explore, and we can p- come back and pick up on things people have said later, is if you could live in any historical time period, what would it be and why? And you can feel free to modify this question if you need to.
4: Tazine, do you want to go? I love history. Sometimes I live. I live history. I want to be in every slice, I live, in every slice of history, every episode of history: the medieval, the Greek history, the Romans, Islamic history. The subcontinent, South Asia, Central Asia, in Medieval Age. I want to travel the Silk Route, 2,000 years back. <laughs> and sometimes I really feel nostalgic, nostalgic about the places I haven't been. It's really difficult to say that which time period of history. Maybe I want to meet Aristotle. I want to discuss rhetoric and his virtue theory. I want to be in the, the time period, uh, in Makkah, when Prophet was there, to experience him. It's really difficult to say that which time period.
0: I'll just follow up on that. You seem to have a desire or, or an enjoyment for places and geography and the history in those places. Do you know where that comes from in yourself?
4: I think it's it was there in my in myself. Even when I didn't get, I was sixteen when I uh, came. I went out to another city. I just went to Karachi and Hyderabad. I was in between uh, until I was sixteen, and uh, at the age of sixteen, I got the chance to go somewhere else. But even at the age of eight, at the age of nine, I, wa- I used to think that I should go, I should see the world. And I wish that, I prayed for that. I really prayed for that, even in Makkah, that I want to see the world. And it was connected to learning. It was connected to learning. It was connected to, to my curiosity. It was connected to... I, I remember there was a, a, pray, a an Arabic prayer, Rabbi Zidni Ilma. It means that God gave me more knowledge. So it's something that Prophet taught us to decide and i used to uh, learn and even when internet was not there there were uh, very limited books you know in Pakistani society we don't have so much libraries and so much chances of reading even at that time i i had questions in mind about some periods in history that i wanted to know more about that but i didn't have the resources to know but when the internet came and i started using that and it was so much fun and i really feel myself lucky that even if I do, can't go to a passive Sera, I can at least read about them. I can I can get information about the pharaonic uh, Egypt. I can get information about what was happening in Central Asia and how the travelers were going on the Silk Route or how the Greeks used to engage in discussions in their marketplace. So these things are really fascinating and merging history with geography. After I traveled the Western Europe and some parts of uh, Middle East, then it was possible for me to connect history with geography. And it was really something, this link of history and geography, it was really interesting. And I've always tried to link these things. Not, not only geography and history, but different periods in history. And I always try to uh, find ways to make history interesting. So this topic is very interesting for me. Even in my childhood, when, when I used to see some historical movie like uh, Banner, I, I remember... And there were Romans and there were Middle Eastern people and it was a question in my mind that what, what was the connection of Romans and Middle East? Now I can understand that they were Roman Middle East was Roman at that time. So these are the things that fascinate. I think it fascinates everyone, but some of some of them are obsessed. I'm too obsessed with history.
0: <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, thank you.
4: <coughs> um my uh, periods
3: of, of history, I've always been fascinated um, since I used to hide out in, in the Edmonton Public Library downtown when I was a young kid and just, you know, kind of being here and I was really kind of an oddball. And I would read a lot and I was really fascinated with El- Elizabethan England um, and Shakespeare and Queen Elizabeth I and her father Henry VIII and everything that happened with all of his wives. And I loved England, I just thought it would be the greatest place to be even in that time period in history briefly, even to know Anne Boleyn briefly, and even to know, you know, that I just was amazed, maybe because I saw Anne of a Thousand Days when I was quite young as well, which was just an outstanding movie, and it had a Canadian movie star in it, Geneve Beaujolais, I think was her name, and Richard Burton, and it was just such a wonderful Film. So this was my this is my time period that I, I got into um, very much so, and also the next my next uh, place in history, if I could leap, would be um, Schlesia and a place called Hirschberg, which is now no longer there. Actually, it's been renamed Eastern Europe, which is now Poland, which used to be Germany. Um, they've renamed everything. So I have great 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 grandparents that that lived there on the border of what is now Czechoslovakia what used to be Bohemia, and Hirschberg, I, I was just, I love the name, Hirschberg, and I would love to have seen it in its, its heyday with my great-grandmother, great-great-great-grandmother. I think that would have been fascinating, and there's old maps, you can find, I found an old map online. There were so many railways going in and going out, like it was a real hub, it was a really busy, busy hub, and so um, that's another place where I would like to stop.
0: Thank you. Mohammed?
2: yeah it's really hard to uh pick you know a period but i try my best i think for me i'm very fascinated about the uh, about the internet age it started for me i would say even 2000 to the present because they say internet you know originates in early 90s but for me i just a good exposure to the internet i think in 2000 before that i didn't even bother about computers or whatever that even i learned how to yeah type so, uh, i knew the typing for sure, yeah, I, I, I learned typing from my from my back in Somalia. I learned it. I was very good typist, typewriter. But then uh, to do these applications, everything like this, you know, Microsoft, the Excel, this, I only learned that when, after, after 2000. So this era of the internet or in a way it's called information age, I, I'm really, really that fascinates me in the sense that you can do a lot can learn a lot, you can communicate easily with the world But however, I also realize it is you know, shortcomings, it is uh, side effects But when I look at it, I say this is a good era to be living in Because you can be whatever you want, you can learn, you can take as many courses as you want Some of them are even free you can like take someone the farthest corner in Africa And then after 10 minutes you, you, you get a response Not only that, but you can lively talk to someone and you can keep talking to them for, you know, through Messenger, through Facebook. In a way, the world has been breached. Uh, but before, probably at one time, I was talking to a friend, not a friend, an acquaintance, someone we meet, you know, in coffee shops. And he told me his uh, sister was dead. She had, she had been dead for eight years when he heard about that. So then I said, why? Because he said, I lived in a place where I couldn't even talk to them. No internet, nothing. And then he said when I spoke, he told me when, he said when I spoke to my father and asked about my family and sisters and all this, he, he said my my, my, my my father cried. And he said she's there for, for eight years now. So you can you can really you can really understand how the internet age, you know, is you know, helping people, bring people together, even sometimes, you know, it can bring about reunification of families. Someone lose their children. They know they do know their whereabouts, and then because of this internet, because of this you know tractable information, uh, families can be you know put together again. So if I would pick any period in my life, I would pick the internet uh, period time. However, I also realize, as I said, it is problems and all these things. So it's a uh, it's double edged knife. So it depends on how you use it. You can ease, use it positively or negatively. Like when one time I was listening to uh, to CBC and they say lots of Canadians are tricked and cheated because of the internet. They talk to someone and they to tell them lies and all this and all that. And they tell me, you know, I'm in bad situation, save me or rescue me. So they send the money off to them and then that money is gone. When you look at it from that point of view, then it's a disaster. Thank
1: you. you welcome. You know what I, mean? I have kind of a bias, because I'm Egyptian. So <laughs> I have to go back to ancient Egypt for for several reasons. <laughs> the first and most important of them is that I need first-hand account of how they built the pyramid so that I can come and tell people, this is how it was done, okay? <laughs> Let's get this out of <laughs> the conversation forever. Yes. And um, also I'm fascinated by the idea of... Uh, in the old world and how it affected language and how how that first person who experienced cinnamon in Egypt, how they felt, what did they do with it? Did they tell all their friends about it? Did they cover themselves in cinnamon and just run around? Like, what did they do? (laughs) Uh, I I find this fascinating, uh, the amount of knowledge that was transferred just through those um, caravans really incredible so I I would have loved to be there just to lurk in the dark and observe (laughs) the other era I would have loved to be in would have been maybe the 1800s I would have loved to hang out with Oscar Wilde (laughs) I think he was (laughs) fun so and uh, there's a method to his madness and uh, and his wit and I would have really really loved to uh, to see what he was like uh, in real life.
0: Cool. <laughs> Thank you.
3: That brings to mind um, my England transition, of where I'd like to be, is with Charles Dickens, I think. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have um, hung out with him for a bit because he walked a lot. Apparently, he went on walks, a number of walks. When he had to think about his characters or he had to think about his writing, he walked and walked. And it would have been great to go on a walk. I personally would also like to go back to the Arthurian legends as well to see what actually happened with mm-hmm. <laughs> that story, because for some reason that story is still around and it's it just it's carried on, we, and we redo it and we
4: redo it. Yesterday I was writing yeah. about Dead Sea scrolls. It's fascinating that they put they made the scrolls and they put in the jars and they put the jars in the caves, and sometimes there were the equipment where they used to do that and the lamps and everything. Incredible people <laughs> what they were doing it at that time and what they were thinking. And there was a copper scroll. And copper scroll, they mentioned 68, 64 different uh, uh, geographical locations in Palestine where they buried these scrolls and the gold and the silver. And the period it was written uh, by, uh, the archaeologist uh, estimated the period about the age where there was Barco Bar revolt. I really want to go and ask
3: them why. Why, why do you find do out, that? Find out the truth. Okay, why? what really happened here? That's life without That's, the internet. Uh, <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah, we have yeah. to hide this here and hide this there. And, and this uh, trade route, the incense route. You know, nowadays they are discovering that Arabian Peninsula used to. We think that it's it was barren in terms of history because there was nothing. There was just desert and no rain no uh, freshwater reserves they had but it was a trade route for the Syria and for the Egypt for the Mesopotamia and then from Mesopotamia to India and they, they joined Silk Route sometimes so now they are getting the Roman Stellas and the Egyptian Kaltosh of Ramses III they got it from uh, the province of Medina. And even the Roman stella, if you see the Roman stella in the province of Medina, and now they have discovered that Roman presence was there. We used to think that there was no Roman uh, presence uh, uh, beyond Jordan in the south. But now they are saying that it was uh, in the province of Medina, there was a Roman legend, th- I think 180
2: or 280. When I say this is very like you know, unprecedented era in terms of, information and connection connectivity among human beings like even in those eras in those times i think i doubt if people even knew each other like they are now because now every country knows everybody else if every, all countries know each other now right they know each other in terms of cultures in in terms of faith in terms of geographical location yeah, and it's because of the internet because they just go to google put that in the search engine it spits out all this information because basically yeah. the internet is part of the communication, and the communication, you know, evolved. It, it evolved, right? So we see things evolve. Yeah. Sometimes human people yeah. use it to write things in caves, you know, by using stones or charcoal or something of that sort. Then evolve it, and then you know the, 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 the paper the print the cave. I think
0: that's um, a good segue to. Uh, what place does writing have in our current
1: world? Uh, let's start with Nermeen. I think it's, um, it's a tool to understand what's happening around this, and there's a lot happening around this, uh, politically, socially. It's a tool in a sense for self-reflection, but also it is a weapon sometimes to shed light on certain topics or certain perspectives that may be overshadowed by possibly powerful mainstream media. It depends on, how, on what the writing is really. In terms of uh, the creative side of it, it, it provides an escape. It provides a, a little pillow after you uh, return from a long day at work, uh, just to fall back to and, and enjoy uh, the beauty of the language itself. That's
0: great, thank you. You
2: can always jump back in. Mohammed? Yeah, I I think uh, I agree with Narbeen. Uh, Yeah, writing is always there with us. People really, you know, they always need the writing word because it inspires people, it informs them, and also it entertains them. As a human being, you need to read, and if you want to read, then you need writers, people that can produce, you know, literature, writing of its, you know, variety and genres. But then, writing also is a very relative. It is subjective. It depends on the writer, their point of views, what they want to tackle, all these things. So, not two writers can come from the same perspective, even if they are closer to each other. Everyone has their own uh, views. On their, uh, they have their own upbringings, philosophy, biases. So that's the nature of life, by the way, to have you know different views if we want to be for example if you want to really tackle an issue or talk about something you need to also delve into different perspectives and you say this writer says this one and this writer says this one then they can charge you by your saying and your, by your research and how you want to present your uh, your, your your argument so writing of it is a uh, different uh, perspectives you always have play a critical role in our world. So whether you like this writer or that writer, and everyone is entitled to their uh, opinions. Thank That's you. my take. yeah? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're
3: welcome. Kate? Um, for me, or the way that I see writing, I think it's a code. And I think it's a code that, that we follow, if we want to follow it. And it's a long-standing code from many great authors. They left something of themselves. We're following the code and we're following the stories and we're learning about ourselves, just deciphering what the stories are. So if I can add to that code, I will definitely add to that code and hopefully people will, will follow it and decipher it. And of course they will take it for whatever, they will take whatever they want out of it.
0: And would you say the code is, it's meant to communicate?
3: Oh, definitely. It's meant to reach. Yeah, reach the masses. Some of them, some reach the masses, and some you have to dig harder to find. And sometimes the more powerful will bury those because they don't want that knowledge to appear for a very, very long time. Um, What's the other perspective? Um, You know, Hitler's burning of books um, basically tried to eliminate all imagination. Um, all other thinking, his decree was to eliminate all of that and only follow one philosophy. So it's, it's very dangerous. If we have
4: one perspective, we need to look at another, always.
0: Tazin, do you have thoughts?
4: What place does writing have in our current world? I should revise the question because I think it's still one of the most effective ways of communication. We are talking about the philosophy and the classical writers. Non-fiction, fiction, poetry, philosophy, the Plato, all the Dead Sea Scrolls. Everyone has the main purpose was communication, and communicating communication about uh, communication about the realities of life. Even the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Egyptian hieroglyphs, or uh, the short stories, the novels, even the drama, the film. If you can't uh, make a film without writing. So I think it's one of the most uh, effective ways of communication. Not only communication, but changing the minds. The entertainment, we, we see it as entertainment, but everything is changing our mind. Our own intellectual development, if we see from the very childhood, it all depends on what we have read. Apart from what our parents gave us, I read this book and this changed my perspective about this issue. And then I read that short story and it changed my perspective. Then I read the poetry. Energy. So these are all different forms of communication.
0: Great, thank you. I do want to jump into the question of, of whether or not, and if so, how does faith play a role in, um, in your writing, if it does? Uh, would, would someone like to speak to that?
4: Yeah, faith plays a role in my writing at least, because I identify myself with a certain group. I have different identities. I live in Canada, as we discussed last time. I belong to Muslim faith. I belong to South Asia. I feel that there is a whole lot of culture there. Not not only culture, but civilization. But still, we Muslims, usually, we Muslims uh, have our connection with Arabia. Although geographically it's so far and many of us haven't been there, but when we pray, we pray five times a day. If uh, someone is a practicing Muslim, he will pray five times a day. And if he's praying five times a day, he will, uh, his, he will be directed towards the Kaaba. So, for every practicing Muslim, I think whatever he is doing, he has this identity in mind. And if he doesn't have, even if he doesn't have, the world is identifying you in a certain way. That changes your perspective too. So, it definitely affects it. And when I'm reading, I compare it as when you ask the question, I didn't say that, but the the Quran starts, the first uh, revelation on the Prophet, it starts with Ikra. And Ikra means read. Although the Prophet couldn't read. Actually, the Quran starts from the Ikra, and then there is Surah Qalam, that is the pen. And then uh, in, in that uh, Surah, the God swear. we will say the word swear in English, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on Qalam, Wal Qalam, when, when they say Wal, Wal Qalam. And there are many uh, uh, verses in Quran which say to ponder, to ponder on. All the philosophical questions Aristotle dealt—they were—they were discussed at how uh, the water cycle day converts to night and night converts to day, and then the calendar. So these things affect on everything. I think the philosophical questions I have to answer. I will—I will, I will be—I—I am really connected, and our position in the world. Definitely, there is certain time which people who identify themselves. With the muslim faith they are passing through a certain time it's something that disastrous for us our own identity it has been hijacked by the people in syria the Daesh, and the isis all about 99.99999 percent feel that they are hijacking our identity they are representing and it this is painful for us and the world is looking at us they are saying it oh the Islamic State. These are the people who are being represented by them. They are representing us, although they are not representing us. The 99.999% Muslims are peaceful, but we have to answer. As she's, she was saying that she was, uh, everyone was talking about Germans here in a certain way in Canada, mm-hmm. and I can feel that around me when I'm here. Not all, everyone is thinking like that, but a general consensus of the, and that is produced by mainstream media mainstream media or popular culture what i feel these things affect my writing definitely they affect my writing my identity my faith it affects my writing but i want to be i i try to be as much objective as possible i try to see as Kid uh, pointed out that i i try to see all all others uh, perspective in the history even the history usually it's not written by muslims right right now what history we feel i mean we read it's not written by muslim but we can see between the lines the things are there and i think this is the the big contribution of the west after the renaissance west was recording the history for us otherwise we don't have <laughs> and i i also i also feel pity over what we are facing that is all because of us too because of muslims we are not studying we are not learning we are not we we, we forget the message of quran it says that you have to ponder. Quran uh, persuades us to ask ask ourselves these questions: Who are we? From where we came? What is the best way of living with others? How we can have plurality, diversity? So these things are their tolerance.
0: Thank you. Anyone else would like to speak to that?
2: I can, yeah, say something about that. I. What is the question again?
0: Um, does faith play a role in your life and writing?
2: Uh, I would say yes, uh, the reason being is, for example, for me when I write, I have to choose my warnings. Is is, is, uh, do I use this sentence or what is the ramification of the, or the effect of, of, of this uh, statement? So, I find myself sometimes, you know, in a dilemma, there's a Somali writer by the name Nurudin Farah, he's a very brilliant uh, writer, he's one of the African writers so his book is a very like very liberal he can say anything he wants for example when he talks about competition about all these things you know intimate uh, relationships he's very explicit i cannot be like that so that can answer my, that question i think for me because for example if i want to if i want to write about you know uh like male and female you know coming together or engaging in. Uh, Sexual uh, relationship, I can touch on it, but I cannot be as explicit as other people.
1: How
2: come? Because I may shy away from that too. I may say, "Oh, I cannot." May say, "I cannot express." I cannot s- express myself in this case. Even some just here, I cannot. I cannot really, you know, put down these expressions. The other thing, because of rage, I can't. Character assassinate them, or I cannot say something bad. Same ways, yes. I am bound by my faith, mm-hmm. in terms of expression, in terms of uh, truth. Yeah, Thank you. yeah.
3: For me, it's um, for me, it's it's a search for my faith. I am faithless at the moment, although I was baptized Anglican, I think, and I I'm not even sure what that quite means. When I search the family tree, because I lost family, um, I see the family tree that my father gave me, that the Nazis created because he had to fill it out in order to become an officer, because they suspected he was Jewish, that there was um, a Jewish peace based on the last name. And they were all evangelical. And I, I don't even quite know what that means either, or what the movement was in Germany at the time. So when I go back and I try to search into the Jewish part of it, maybe to own that, maybe because I'm searching for a home still, I'd love to know where the original little Sheltie was, um, where it all began as well. But I, I'm always met with a brick wall, very much met with a brick wall. I, I can't seem to get past the 1800s and the mid-1800s because it was so frightening to be Jewish for so long in various places, such as Eastern, Eastern Europe, which is now Poland. That's how I can tra- I trace the name back um, to some smaller Smaller towns in the Jewish um, genealogical database. The person that they stopped on um, in the family tree, they did check marks and the Nazi stamp down all of them. And the person that they stopped on was the grandmother, or my father's grandmother, who was Emma Seidel Versidle. They stopped and they had to research this person, and they finally accepted that there was no Jewish, or there wasn't enough of a Jewish, maybe it was just quarter-Jewish, and that uh, he was able to become an officer so um, or a lieutenant. So I'm there's no place to go with that. I have absolutely no idea where to go with, with all of that or even to research that because there's just such a block there, I find. But so you're still nice.
0: searching for the truth, in a way?
3: I'm still searching for, for the truth. And this is also in my father's safe in the wall that he built where he hid the, the photographs. There was a... Box wrapped in silver um, gift wrap, and it said "Für Großmutter" on it, so for grandmother, and it was a Knight's Cross, which is a high reward in the German Army, or one of the higher rewards. And it was we just I just have to take that at, at face value. And then, do I want to go back, or do I want to remain in limbo? Like, what would that mean, owning a faith, owning a religion? Namin, I
0: mean, do you want to add anything?
1: I think. It's part of the process of identifying why we're situated in the positions we are. So why are we here? Um, Where do we go? What does this mean? Uh, Whether we always seek those answers at some point or another, whether it's through faith in a deity that is much more powerful and unparalleled, or faith in science, or faith in the power of, uh, relationships and love and something we try to explain to ourselves why why this is happening to us through through that journey of understanding. Uh, I don't think we can limit faith to a certain certain deity. In my opinion, I think it's broader than that because then you get the give and take between the writing and the faith. It comes in waves. It comes. Uh, There's a, a give and take between the cultural aspect of faith, the tradition, or the lack of it, or losing faith, or losing faith and coming back to it. This is all a very rich experience of trying to answer those questions of what does this mean? What does my writing mean? Who is going to read it? Does it fulfill a purpose? Does it necessarily need a purpose to fulfill? And in a way, if it does, does that reflect on myself? And if I am of meaning or not, uh, I think that's how it affects at least my own writing. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
0: I think it's a good jump into what produces wonder and awe in you. I think these are somewhat related. So I'd just like to throw that out there and explore. What produces awe and wonder
3: in you? Um, I think just life life in general seriously all the big things the sun coming up in the morning the stars at night the moon i mean just the general things because there is intricacies in that um that we can we can find that give us meaning that gives everyday meaning even the birds singing like just these general big big things um i'm just in wonder of that i've always been in wonder of the world and and how it works and you know why we're here and how we fit in and
4: Azeen? Awe and wonder. I always say that facts are more interesting; they create more awe than fiction, and that's why I'm a nonfiction writer. <laughs> the facts produce awe and wonder. I can't specify exactly.
0: Sure. I mean, there's this saying that that truth is stranger than fiction, right? And exactly. so, I hear that in what you're saying, that, and Kate too, that just the the wonder of the facts of our human existence are sometimes just very incredible. Nermeen, anything you want to
1: add? Awe and wonder, for me, comes by experiencing silence. Just listen, to listen. Um, whether it's to start the conversation and just let the other person you, you don't know at all take over, everybody has a fascinating story. And if you just stop and listen, it, uh, it's really incredible. And sometimes it can be quite powerful and imposing. And um, I think it deserves to uh, have its own space in our life, the silence, to welcome things that are not going on in our head, and our own narrative and understanding to peek through all the time. Nice.
2: I can say something about this awe and wonder. I think for me, uh, awe awe and wonder from events, experiences, resources, people, combination of all these factors. So for example, if I look at all these opportunities that surround me, I say, wow, this is really great. You go to a library, you can sign out as many books as you can. I mean about 20 books or items or so. That's really very good opportunity. And also you see all these different uh, bookies, these different genres, stylists, writers, you choose, you pick and choose. So not everybody can get this opportunity. So then you're really yeah, amazed about these opportunities. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it gives me all. Thank you. Yeah.